Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. My guest today is Art Rothafel. He's the founder of Private Label Fitness. The website, same name, privatelabelfitness.com. Art was a uh, in the fitness industry in 1978, which is amazing, very, very early on as a personal trainer and a floor manager at Jack LaLanne's European Health Spa in Los Angeles. His career went on from there, which we'll get into, and we'll talk about his current endeavors. So, Art, welcome. Hey, thank you so much, Richard. Thanks for having me on. Did you ever meet up with like Schwarzenegger or any of these old uh, bodybuilders? As a matter of fact, I did. I met Jack LaLanne himself, who was just a wonderful man, and then uh, had two uh, run-ins with Arnold, one in a store in Los Angeles and then another one at a world gym that he owned down in Orange County, California. Again, super nice guy. I mean, it's it's funny. Sometimes the most successful people are, are the nicest. Oh, that's good. That's better than them being mean, you know? Yeah, well, there are those. You know, again, you haven't been in the gym world that long, but you've been in it pretty long. I had heard, I guess, back in the 1920s or 30s that when gyms started out, it was a shameful thing and people kind of had to hide and go to the gym in secret. Is that true? I don't know, Richard. I just wonder if, you know, if the history was still around, like when you first started, that's what I mean. Like when you first started in the late 70s, yeah. you know, what was it like in the gym? What was training like? You know, what was it like coming to the end of the 70s and maybe you saw some older guys that were in the around in the 50s and 60s? Yeah, well, when I came into, I moved from the East Coast to California in 1978. And again, that was my first job, Jack LaLanne's European Health Spa. And it was shag carpeting, all kinds of chrome equipment. There really weren't any personal training certifications back then like there are today. So if you just looked good and had some kind of physique, which I was a somewhat of an athlete, at, I was a ski racer and that kind of thing. So I, I looked at the part. They gave you a blue smock that you wore, black pants, black shoes, and you walked around with a clipboard and you were really more of a babysitter than anything else. But you got people to to move and, and work out. It, it was nothing like what it is today. But I enjoyed it. I really liked it because these were people that were really interested in, you know, getting better fit, getting healthy. And Jack LaLanne had the brand at that time. I mean, when you think about it, he was like the on TV and he was one of the first to do online workouts, if you will. It's sort of a bohemian version of it, black and white on TV. But, you know, he was a pioneer in many, many, many ways. Yeah, that's really cool. What was the clientele like when you first started versus nowadays? Like, you know, I'm, I was born in 75, so... uh Growing up, there weren't a lot of overweight people. Now it seems like, you know, and I'm one of them everywhere. Uh, <laughs> what, what was it like when you were training people? You know, when you first. Yeah, Jack LaLanne's European Health Spa back then, it was mostly middle aged men and women. You didn't see a lot of kids, but all the trainers were, were young people. But I would say most of them were. Uh, moms and dads. Of course, you know, the younger kids probably went to either a YMCA or some kind of like a, a low life seller gym, or they worked out at home. They bought weights and worked out at home. This was more of like, I would say, middle aged people that were trying to get back in shape. And Jack Lane's was sort of a, at that time, sort of a high end club. It was kind of cool to be part of that club. And they had jacuzzis and swimming pools and all of that. It was a, that club uh, that I first worked at was about 50,000 square feet. So it was, it was pretty big. 
but with the clientele, like any di- like how would you say they're different from today, or were they no different? I don't think they were that different. I think it's interesting today, though. I in the they would be considered big box clubs. So today, the big box clubs today are like twenty four hour fitness and those types of Planet Fitness, and and you just see all kinds of people and all kinds of young people. So I would say in today's clubs, there's much higher diversity and much larger age range. People just going in and, and even working out together. Were there many women in the clubs, or was it all men? Oh yeah, no, no, a lot of women working in the clubs back that working out. Absolutely. Okay. Well, how have you seen, again, the industry change over the decades? It's kind of interesting. The industry, the business model itself of selling memberships hasn't really changed that much. I mean, that at one point, they used to sell lifetime memberships, and in California, they made that illegal. But the business model itself is always trying to sell a membership, and now it's you know $10 down, no no obligation, <laughs> just keep you paying the $10. And they, they really work on that recurring revenue model. But what has changed is the level of expertise among personal trainers, coaches. Um, I mean, the knowledge base is just huge today. And then so, so that's different. And then the distribution of services, of course. Now you can work out at a club, you can work out online, you can work out you know, through YouTube if you want to. And also the machinery keeps changing around a bit. There's just different machines today that, than what was available. And then, of course, you still have the free weight crowd that's been lifting free weights you know, for the last 50 years. I'm one of those guys. I'm kind of old school. So the machinery's changed, the distribution has changed, but the business model among the bigger clubs remains the same. And now there's a lot more boutique type personal training facilities, and they're doing a lot more small group training. Some There's still large group training, but there's all kinds of different programming changes. So no matter who you are or what you are, there's a program available just for you. Yeah, I know that's great. Well, tell me about private label fitness. When did the idea come to you and how did it evolve? Well, I kind of have to go back a little way. So I'll, I'll go back to, I, I came to California in 78, worked in the club. Then in 1982, I, I was offered an opportunity to work with Guitar Center in Hollywood, California. And I worked my way up through the ranks there pretty quickly too and became vice president of marketing there. So I learned a lot about you know corporations and, and whatnot, how they work. And then what's significant about Guitar Center is 1986. I remember it really, really clearly when a young man, this young salesman walked into my office and he introduced me to the Apple II computer. And for me, that was just a freaking game changer because I could see this was going to be big. Now you have to remember 1986, there's no internet, there's no cell phones, there's hardly any personal computers. And in fact, the height of technology back then was like an electric typewriter. So I took a deep dive and went really learned as much as I could about personal computers and their application towards business. And about, oh, I'd say a year later or so after that, I left Guitar Center and started my own freelance advertising and marketing agency. And I went around and kind of helped businesses with their marketing with my computer in hand. And I also taught them how to implement this new technology into their own business and so integrate it and, and so that they could deploy this new technology into their own businesses and become much more productive. And then in 1991, I decided to get back into the health and fitness space and I started up a small nutritional counseling company called Metacore. And the bulk of our business was helping middle-aged men and women here in Newport Beach, California with their, they all wanted weight management, but they wanted, what we offered was, we'll help you with your weight management and your overall health, but we do it more holistically with what we call the three Ps, which would be productive exercise, proper nutrition, and positive lifestyle behaviors. Now that's different than what was really available back then because everything then was Weight Watchers, Nutrisystem, Jenny Craig, and those type of 
things, which all were kind of restricted calorie dieting. And we didn't, we didn't go that way. So we were more holistic and we learned two things really quickly when we opened that business. One, the very first thing we learned was that most people have almost no idea about how their bodies actually function. And that's still true today. And then the second thing we learned was that for people who really wanted to do it the right way through nutrition and exercise and changing their behaviors, there was very little information available to them to help guide them. There just wasn't really that much consumer education or support materials. So we developed our own materials and we spent a lot of time basically gathering the materials, kind of, you know, taking technical stuff and dumbing it down to where, you know, it made sense to a 12 year old. And then we had it peer reviewed and we just made sure it was accurate. And then we implemented it in our own business and it was really, really well done. And our clients achieved results. But then a funny thing kind of happened as time went on, more and more trainers, people, physical trainers, personal fitness trainers, doctors, coaches, athletes, they all started asking us for our materials and would we sell our materials to them so they could use them to work with their own clients. And as time went on, I began to look at spreadsheets and I started thinking, you know what? We're making more money selling our materials than we are consulting clients. Literally, we kind of morphed from being a retail service-based business into a B2B publishing house. And so... And that's kind of where we are today. I mean, over time, we, of course, we expanded our products and services. And and now, and of course, using the technology, and I've tried to stay up with the technology as much as I can, we learned how to private label all of our products and services so that if you were a personal trainer, you could buy your own you know, set of tracking journals and all kinds of materials, support materials, and we'd put their logo right on it for them, which is what we still do today. And so that just led us to where we are today. And what's even more interesting is now with AI, we're still evolving. It's still good. It's going to get even more nuts over the next few years, I think. Okay. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. What are some of the major challenges that you faced that made things like really difficult you had to innovate to overcome? Well, I guess the biggest thing that affected us is we had very rapid growth. And so that has its own set of challenges because I really didn't want to have a big company. Through Guitar Center, I'd seen that sometimes you get too big and you go too fast and things start. Sometimes how big can you get before you become bad? And I didn't want to go that route. So So our fast growth was a challenge. So finding the right people to hire and then as time went on, I started started freelance. I started using more and more freelancers. And in fact, to this day, today, I run this company with just one assistant and then everything else is freelanced out through various vendors. And we have freelancers all over the world at this point. But then our biggest challenge, which will maybe of interest to some of your listeners, was in 2008 when the economy crashed. Literally within two months, our after having all this fast growth within two months, our business was cut in half. And not because of anything we did, but the economy crashed and most of these gyms that we were selling to, gyms, trainers, health clubs, uh, they went out of business. 
because uh, the economy just crashed. So for me, that was one of the biggest challenges. And on the tail of that, we could see that everybody, that was the beginning of all the uh, Fitbits and all the digital tracking devices. And we were selling physical products. So I could see that our physical products were going to probably wind down and that we needed to learn how to do digital products. So I learned, literally went back to school and learned how to code and learned how to do WordPress and learned how to code websites. And, uh, and I still do quite a bit of coding today myself. And, and I really enjoy it. I found out, wow, this is really kind of interesting. And now, again, like I mentioned with AI, it's, it's evolving even further. Okay. What kind of products were you predominantly selling? In the beginning, tracking journals where on one side of the page, it would have your exercise program on the other side what you're eating. Um, and then we also got into supplements. Uh, we uh, had an agreement with a boutique supplement manufacturer and we created very high-end type supplements because people who don't work out can take one a day and they'll, they'll be fine because their metabolic requirements are not that high. But for people who work out, their metabolic requirements are much higher. And so we knew that if we were going to do a supplement line, we needed to have a real high-end line. So we had supplements. We also developed a menu planning software, which was very old. In fact, it would be considered legacy today. But we were one of the first to have actual nutrition software. And again, if you were a trainer, we would put your logo on the software and then you could work with your clients. And this is back in, we actually developed it in 1995. And you had to install it in your computer with disk drives and all of that. So those are the types of products we were selling back then. So, I mean, was this, you said you experienced a period of rapid growth, which had some challenges. Maybe talk about that. And then again, this changeover from, you know, physical products to more uh, digital ones. Yeah. Uh, you know, what were some of the challenges there? But again, let's start with the rapid growth phase. Well, the rapid growth phase was, this is kind of an interesting story. Again, we, th this is pre-internet, pre-Facebook and all of that. So we used to do seminars, three seminars a week. We'd go out with our Kodak slide projector. And if we could do a seminar at any, we would mostly try to get into companies and we would try to also get into apartment complexes, anywhere, church groups, municipalities, and we would stand up and give a seminar on the benefits of eating right and exercising and changing some behavioral patterns. And then we would try to sign them up to our facility or to our office. I mean, we would generally have 30 to 40 to 50 clients that we were working with. And then oh, when we, at one point we gave a, a seminar and one of the people was an H human resource director for a big company in Orange County, California called Beckman Medical Instruments. They had 3000 employees. They signed us up. So we uh, all of a sudden had, uh, we had eight, we went from having about 50 clients to 800. So it, it just, all of a sudden I had to hire, I had to hire a whole bunch of people. And that's before we even had morphed. That's when we were still doing the consulting. And then when we morphed into doing more of the products, the, the challenges were just being able to produce private label products that quickly and also doing it at a micro level because people only wanted to order maybe 10, 15, let's say like our, our daily journal, they only wanted 10 or 15 of them. So one of the things we, we had to learn about was how to publish in big quantities and then private label it for individuals who only wanted maybe 10 of those particular products. So to make a long story short, we, we printed overseas and we would like for our daily journals, we would print 50,000 of them, keep them in a warehouse and we'd print them overseas, bring them into Long Beach, California, keep them in a warehouse. And then we would print ourselves individual covers. So let's say, Richard, you were a personal trainer and it was Richard's personal training service. We would print 10 of your covers and then we would have those pre-printed journals already to go. And we would bind your covers onto those journals to send them off to you. And it's it was labor intensive. And so that was one of the challenges, was the labor intensity. 
but we I just hiring people to do it by buying more machines and hiring more people. I would guess if you had to scale up, you had to do a lot of uh, systemization and processes and procedures and maybe employee contracts and all that stuff. I would think it'd be like a ton of work, not only to just hire people, but to get systems around them and everything. So what was that like? Well, you know, back then it was QuickBooks and it still is actually. We went to a bigger accounting system and then we went back to QuickBooks. But again, the automation for us was from order taking to getting the artwork, getting into using Adobe, um, getting artwork, creating vector files. So it wasn't as automated as you would like it to be. And it never is, frankly. But we we learned to template things. And so, for example, on a cover, there's a cover for a journal or let's say a supplement label. You had a third of the space. And once we had the logo, if we would make it as large as we can, but we Obviously, the biggest thing for us in terms of automation was not really the processing of orders. It was facilitating the order itself in terms of getting the logo embedded onto the order piece. It could be a journal, could be a supplement, could be the software, all of which took different sizes. So for us, it was a matter of creating templates and then being able to fit almost any logo onto a template. And that was probably our biggest challenge. But once we got into using templates, things became much easier. And then uh, creating all these products, like, how did you know what the market wanted? How did you know which products to create first and next and next? You know, what was some of the challenges there? Well, one of the things that I get a ton of testimonials about is that when people call, I answer the phone. And even when we had 20 employees, I still always answered the phone because that's where the rubber meets the road. I was talking to a guy, I could be on any given phone call. I might be talking to a trainer working out of his garage or the back of his car, or I might be talking to a multi-club owner who has 17 clubs and wants needs journals for all of them and needs a certain level, certain amount of them sent to one club, a certain amount sent to another club, certain amount sent to another club. And that's So by me talking to them on the phone, I got not only to understand what their needs were, but also where they were going is really important for me to talk to customers all the time because the fitness industry is quite trendy. And so, for example, right now, I mean, you see these boutiques like F45, you see Anytime Fitness, you see a lot of smaller facilities, and that's sort of the trendy thing now. And also small group fitness where there's three to four people in a small group being trained. So by me talking to them on the phone and listening to them and then asking them a series of questions like where they think they're going, that's how we figured out what we needed to do. And that's why we knew we that our journal business was going to wind down and eventually we we're going to have to do more digital products. In fact, our biggest thing that we do now is we develop full-on website on behalf of trainers and clubs because we know the content that they want. We know what they're trying to do in terms of developing leads. And there's a tremendous amount of automation there, everything from opt-in forms, so on and so forth, the email sequences that we build out for them. But again, it's simply by talking to them that we learn what their needs are. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So what does the company look like today? Again, you're doing websites for trainers. Are you doing like lead generation to help them build their business or is it just more of the tools of marketing for them? A little bit of both. You know, it depends on what they want. If they've got the budget, we can get it. We can go full bore into, um, you know, Facebook ads, lead generation, build out their whole website, email sequences, and now SMS type of of communications with, with their client and getting it fully automated for them. Or... I may have a guy that calls and says, listen, I have no budget. I have $1,000. Can you build me a website? And we can. We, we call it the one-page wonder, where it's a one-page website, but it has it scrolls so that if they click on a button at the top, it'll scroll down to that particular thing. It's very easy for us to build that because, again, we've built a template. We know 
comes with blog posts, it comes with everything, and it comes with opt-in forms. It comes in with the forms that a trainer would need to assess a client because we already have that stuff pre-built. So I can build a $1,000 website for a guy or I can build a $50,000 website. It just depends on, on what they need. And again, because we've templated it, and we understand their business for the most part, what they're going to need. And then we, we can sell things a la carte. Typically, when we build out digital platforms, it's sort of like we build the infrastructure to be a mansion, but maybe they just want to live in the bedroom. So, But the under understructure is they want to expand. It's already sitting in place. Even if, you know, if the, whether they want to do video, they want to do a membership site, all of those things are in place. We just have to activate it if they want it. So, okay, so you can do full service marketing, but you could also go kind of go halfway or just do the initial steps for various trainers, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Is this trainers that focus on any particular like modality or you know type of training like CrossFit versus, I don't know, strength training versus, you know, aerobics or whatever it may be, or is it only for certain kinds of trainers? No. Well, you've probably heard the term, the riches are in the niches, right? So I have trainers, basically they all teach kind of the same thing. CrossFit's a little bit more extreme. And then there's people that just would much rather be doing more of a cardio workout. But in general, you could talk to probably 90% of all the trainers in the world and they'll agree that you need to do both strength training and cardio. I mean, there's really no getting around. And on top of that, you need to have a halfway decent menu plan. You, you can't out-train a bad menu. So I would say 99% of us are all in agreement on what the protocol is. It's just a matter of what degree you want to take it to. But then it gets into the niches. And I'll just, I'll give you a couple of examples. One of our trainers deals primarily with salespeople. That's his niche. And he, all of his website is him working out at a Holiday Inn. And he does these, I'm, I think you might be familiar with these stretch bands. And he says, every motel has this doorknob and you hook your bands here. And here's the exercises you do. Because salespeople that are on the road, we'll call them road warriors. They don't have time to go to the gym. They're on the road, but they want to work out. So he has these workouts developed specifically for people who are living in and out of motel rooms. And they pay him like $19 a month. And he's always adding more and more videos. I have another trainer who does nothing but baseball. I mean, he's it's for baseball players and it's exercises strictly for baseball. There's guys that do training strictly for skiers. There's, you know, so take your pick. There's another guy that does strictly for wrestling, high school wrestling. Some of these guys are like minor celebrities. They've been at it for a long time. They understood the online world. And with a lot of these, uh, there's trainers that specifically work with young kids like under 18. So they have a special niche and they work out with their parents. And of course, the parents pay the bill for their young kids to get better at whatever, you know, sports activity it might be. So it's really about not the training. I mean, the training can get specialized, but for the most part, it's strength training, it's cardio training, and it's also getting nutrition, decent nutrition in place, if that makes sense. Yeah. Bill, are there, I mean, special groups of people that need very different protocols? You know, tell me about some of those, like some of the differentiation and the customization you have to do. Well, we don't end up doing a lot, too much of the customization. Here's the thing. When there was a company for many years called American Sports Data, and they, for years and years and years, came out with this survey, and they did something like 10,000 people. And what they found was the number one reason people joined a gym or hired a trainer was to lose weight. Now, people will couch it in all kinds of different ways, like I want to get healthy or I do it for social benefits. But if, if you reframe that question and say, well, did you want to go to the gym to get bigger? No, they wanted to go to the gym to get smaller. And so 
that so the primary reason that most people join a gym is to lose weight. I mean, and obesity is at the highest rate ever. And now you're seeing all these new drugs coming out, the injectables, which are just even more nuts. But at any rate, people will, will spend a lot of money and they'll do a lot of things. So the protocol for long-term weight management goes back to the three Ps again. It just goes back to doing the exercise and getting the nutrition together and then changing all of that, trying to get the behavior to where you're it's more of a lifestyle thing. So the protocol, we don't really change it that much. It, it's almost common among all groups. When you want to get into specifics, for example, like we, like I talked about with the wrestling or the skiers or the sports specific stuff, then the protocol, it gets a little bit more detailed. But for the general consumer and the general public, it's generally about, you know, creating what we call a slight energy and slight negative energy balance where they're they're not starving themselves, that they're eating enough to support their lean muscle mass, but not eating so much to where the body doesn't need that much food and just converts it into body fat. So let's say, for example, Richard, you needed your body to maintain your weight was say two, 2,300 calories. We would probably knock you down to, a good trainer probably knock you down to say 2,000 to 2,100 calories where you're getting enough food to support the exercise and the activity you're doing. But at some point, your body's having to dig into the fat stores for energy because it's not quite getting enough. And so that's generally the protocol. I mean, basic physiology is the same and it's been the same for 2000 years. I mean, it's just ever since the last, I, we always bring out a picture of the last supper and say, you know what, we've since the last supper and in Jesus and the disciples, but men on the moon, we've cured all kinds of diseases, but the way our body handles food and activity hasn't changed one bit. So the protocol kind of is pretty much the same. And that's what allows our company to kind of keep giving people the same, giving them the same or templated information and just giving them more of it. I mean, because you can get into things like sleep and different kinds of menu plans that, that are, pe people tend to eat, some people eat a little bit more protein than others. You can get into a little bit of it, but for the most part, it's, it's understanding your caloric intake and getting some exercise in kind of just the same across the board. It's hard to fool Mother Nature. Well, they remember those wristbands, you know, what would Jesus do? Maybe they should have, what would Jesus eat? Yeah. That'd be, that'd be the new thing. <laughs> yeah. Right now, what's really going to be interesting from my point of view and where we're headed, and a lot of people ask me like, well, what's your roadmap? And I go, well, right now my roadmap is sit and wait because what I'm interested in, what's going to be truly exciting is you may be familiar with wearable technology where they put sensors into the clothing and so it can monitor, you know, your heart rate, perspiration, all kinds of various metrics, um, your blood pressure, all kinds of things, again, through the sensors built into the clothing. And now, you know, you can monitor that through your Apple Watch, so on and so forth. But now here comes AI, which was able to take that data and analyze it. And it'll actually be able to tell what kind of movements you're making. And maybe you're making a movement that's not quite right. And the AI in the hands of a trainer will be able to modify your movement patterns. Maybe because maybe you had an injury years ago. Who knows? But the real exciting thing is going to be this convergence of body, what we call wearable technology and AI. That convergence and that is just going to be just amazing. Like they even are, uh, some of the specialists in AI are talking about that it'll even recognize your breathing patterns and your voice and your facial expressions and be able to determine, you know, what's going on with you physiologically and maybe you need to modify your workout. Maybe you need to slow down a little bit or maybe you need to ramp it up a bit. You're just phoning it in. So, or maybe you need to take a day off and recover. It's going to be really exciting for 
professional athletes, but it's also, as with all things with professional athletes, it, you know, finally comes down into the general consumer. And, you know, I just think, you know, that's why I say we're still evolving because this is going to change the industry, I think, a lot. And I think a lot of trainers see this as like, oh my gosh, they won't need me anymore. But I think just the opposite. I think it's going to make training even more comprehensive. And I think people will want a trainer to help you know, validate what they're seeing or, you know, and a trainer literally will put their- oh, Interpret it and what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think it's going to be a, a big aid to the trainer. It's really exciting. I mean, it's it will impact my business as well because we'll want to create tools that trainers can use. Do you think you'll have maybe like a low cost training option where the trainer doesn't work with you one-on-one, but he monitors you and like, you know, 15 other people. And yeah. when you do a workout, you know, certain things happen, they can- they can tell you, oh, I, you know, the system showed that your heart did this or whatever did that. So I recommend you do X, Y, Z. Sure do. I think, yeah, they'll do it in, in small groups. They can do it in large groups, just as you see maybe like on a Zoom call where you have, you know, 10 or 15 little screens going, there will be information being fed onto each screen and it'll be like, hey, Monica, you need to slow down. But hey, Rob, you could ramp it up a little bit. So yeah, the, the, all of that, I, I think it's going to be really, really interesting um, where all of this is going to go. And then on top of that, let's say you're a tr- personal trainer and you're working with somebody who's in rehab, working with a physical therapist or a doctor, you know, all this information is being fed to both the trainer and the doctor. So the, the partnerships are going to get really interesting over time as well, because now a lot of personal trainers will be able to work with doctors and physical therapists and chiropractors, and they're all working with the same client. So it's to the benefit. Of course, none of this is going to be cheap, I imagine, at least not first out, but it will eventually come down in cost. And it's, I think it's amazing. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, so Art, what's the best way for people to learn more about, you know, what you do and to check out Private Label? Where do they go? Just go to www.privatelabelfitness.com or they can call me. I answer the phone 714-404-1800. I answer all my emails. I mean, we're not a big, I mean, we're, we're kind of a boutique as well. I mean, it's not like I deal with a thousand calls a day. So I'm always happy to talk to people. And sometimes we just talk. A lot of my clients, we just sit around and talk. Uh, basically, just like what you and I are doing, talk about where is this market going? And again, I learn something from every time I, I talk to somebody as well. Excellent. Okay. Bart, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Richard. I appreciate it. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.